you are listening to The Book Judge, a podcast about books that you should read if you're interested in business. I'm your host, Conrad Chua. This is a curated reading list to give you a better grip on how to approach the complex issues that businesses face. We've spent this past year mostly at home, feeling overwhelmed by data about COVID, how biological and misinformation epidemics spread, and it's easy to wonder what's going on. Actually, it's easier to think that reading all this data and commentary on Facebook or Twitter makes every one of us an expert. But these problems are complex, and you can't just master them by reading a blog post, or even two or three blog posts. The challenge with understanding many of these problems is there isn't a set formula or model that can shed light on the causes and solutions. This episode, we feature a book that takes a slightly different approach. Scott E. Page argues in his book, The Model Thinker, that we need to master multiple models and recognize which models to apply to any problem. But instead of thinking which is the best model for a particular problem, Page says we should employ several models that could explain different facets of the problem. Or maybe one model can take over at the point where another model breaks down. This approach gives us a much richer appreciation of the interrelated dynamics in any issue. For many people, the use of models seems outdated in the age of big data. I mean, why try to fit a model to a problem when you can just collect lots of data and let machine learning take over? Page's answer is that big data might be good to understand relationships between variables that happened in the past, but can't give an explanation about why things are happening. Big data also can't give you an idea of what might happen in the future. We need models to understand what all this data is telling us about the world we live in. Page also thinks that models make us smarter. We all suffer from any number of cognitive biases. Models check these biases at the door and help us be more logical in our thinking. This approach isn't new. Charlie Munger, that famous business partner of Warren Buffett, famously talks about his mental model lattice work. Munger reads widely and applies models from different disciplines to understand what's going on in business and society. Page's approach of studying different models stems from the reality that no model can explain any phenomenon in its entirety. There's always some abstraction, some assumption in a model, and some limitations. It's only by employing different models that we see the circumstances under which a model might break down, and we can then figure out the right business strategy or policy intervention. To embrace what Page is talking about, we have to unlearn the instinct that has been drummed into us from years of education. You know, that idea that for every problem, there's one model that will give you the correct answer. That's the basis for almost every physics or science problem that you encountered in high school. Over 24 chapters, Page covers different kinds of models with applications to industries or society. Some of these models would be familiar to anyone in business school. You have the usual suspects of the normal distribution, the prisoner's dilemma for game theory, and power law distributions with long tails. 
but I had to sweat some math to understand models like network modeling and entropy. The math in this book can be intimidating, but if you persevere, Page does explain what the equations mean in real-life applications. And it is those applications that are the most rewarding part of this book. For example, he uses network models to explain the friendship paradox. That's the observation that, on average, people's friends are more popular than they are. If you use a hub-and-spoke network model to map out relationships between people, you'll find that there's always a small number of very highly connected people. Unless you're one of these highly connected people, you'll find that your friends, which usually includes one of these high connectors, will have more connections than you do. Hopefully, this makes people feel better when they compare LinkedIn connection numbers. This is the part of the podcast where I place the spotlight on one part of the book that you can use immediately in your business or in an interview, or just to impress your business school friends. I call this the Did You Know section. Case interviews are a common thing on business school campuses, and many students get caught or get undone by these interviews, especially when they have to come to grips with the math part. Paige didn't write this book to help business school students get through cases, but there's one useful hack to use in cases that I found. Paige calls it the rule of 72. Simply put, if a variable grows by a percentage r every period, and r has to be less than 15%, then that variable will double every 72 divided by r periods. Let me explain with an example. If returns to capital are growing 12% every year, we expect the capital stock to double in 72 divided by 12, or 6 years. Page uses that rule of 72 as part of a larger analysis on income inequality. Income inequality is one of the most important issues faced by societies today. Almost everyone has an opinion about this and what drives it. Page uses multiple models to unpack what's driving income inequality, especially in the United States. First, there's the data. Data shows that wealth and income inequality is rising in the developed world. There's no denying that. Page uses a Cobb-Douglas model to look at why wages for low-skilled workers has been depressed over time. Stepping out of the math, which you know is going to be difficult to explain in an audio podcast, the bottom line is that increased movement of low-skilled workers from outside the United States and increased automation means lower wages for the low-skilled in the United States and most developed countries. Page then uses a different model to explain why the rich are getting so much richer. The positive feedback model shows that the internet accelerates consumer adoption of certain products. Think about how you check the reviews before buying anything nowadays. And you can literally find ratings of every imaginable product. I mean, I found ratings for the grapefruit that I buy from my supermarket. What this all means is that 
the entire market could gravitate towards a product that has the best reviews or is adopted by your friends and family. And they can do this very, very quickly. Even if the product is only marginally better than the second best product, all the spoils literally go to the winner. This is especially the case for digital products that can scale quickly as opposed to anything that requires complex manufacturing. Think about the rapid global rollout of Instagram versus how long it takes to manufacture and distribute Tesla cars all over the world. Page then uses a spatial voting model to show why CEO pay has increased so much in the US. CEO pay is often set by a compensation committee, which in the US comprises largely of fellow CEOs and compensation experts. You can read more about the spatial voting model, but it basically says that committee decisions will tend towards the median. And since every company thinks they are above the median, when by definition, only half of them can be, they all want to pay the CEO more than the median. And this just keeps building and building. Now, this type of compensation committee contrasts with the picture in Germany, where workers have representatives on these committees. We also see CEO compensation in Germany being lower than in the US. Then Page draws on a rent from capital model to show how people owning capital over time rapidly accumulate more wealth than those who only receive wages. He pointed out that this has been the case for centuries and it was only the whole-scale destruction of capital resources during the two world wars that balanced the scales between returns on capital and income. This is where that rule of 72 comes in to show you just how many periods before capital stocks double versus income. Now, this was something I not thought about. Looking at it this way, I can see why baby boomers can mistakenly think that the wealth they accumulated from a lifetime of employed labor was entirely down to their hard work, when part of the reason was they were born in a time when returns from wages were more comparable to that from capital. Of course, now this is no longer the case. People with lower incomes, and increasingly that includes college graduates, they just don't get the same returns from wages as people did in the 70s or 80s. Consumption, whether that be for rent or essential items, take up a much larger percentage of their income. And so I think retirees should show some humility and not think that millennials could get a better life if only they stopped eating their avocado toast or fancy frappes. Page also applies several models to sociological factors. How, with women being more educated and marrying later in life, we see that people with higher incomes marrying within their income bracket much more often. This is because the college degree and those first few jobs, they all cumulatively have a signaling effect on potential future income. Or how their neighborhood affects that sort people again by income. Page's point is that each of these models can only explain one part of the puzzle. By understanding the models, we can see limitations and also the conditions under which particular policies lose their effectiveness. Suffice to say that after reading this, I learned more about income inequality, but 
I also felt oh, a sense of despair at the number of things that need to happen to address this. Page did not set out to write a book on careers, but some of the models give useful insights into how you can manage your career. His network models, for example, show that a person's success could be due to his or her network, specifically where you're placed within different networks. Of course, your individual ability plays a huge role, but the people who rise to the top tend to also occupy what the models call structural holes within networks. These people have high betweenness and can learn from one network and apply that learning to another network. They can also build connections between different networks. Now, all these networks could be organization-specific, and that might also be why stars in one company find it so difficult to replicate their success when they join another company. The other useful piece of careers advice comes from path-dependent models. Depending on assumptions, these models can show if outcomes depend on the early paths taken. If you believe that's the case in a particular industry that you're interested in, you should join the companies that go in early and who are going in big. But if you believe it'll be the better product that will prevail, then you can afford to wait and join companies or teams within companies that are taking a bit more time to get that best product out. Ultimately, you decide how path-dependent your own career is going to be. That's all for this episode of The Book Judge. If you like what you hear, I want to ask one favour. Tell one other person about this show. Encourage them to listen. You can subscribe to this podcast through Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, leave a rating and review. It helps others discover the show. Leaving a review will also be your way to pass comments about the show to me. Till next time, this is your book judge, Conrad Chua.